0: Hi, this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your November edition of Voices of Experience. I've just returned from a trip to Tanzania, Africa, where I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, often referred to as the roof of Africa. As you might imagine, getting to the summit of Kilimanjaro yielded many valuable lessons, not the least of which was the power of commitment. As the climb got harder and harder, it was our team's commitment to making it all the way that pulled us through the tough times. I guess that same concept applies to all aspects of our life, including our speaking business. Your commitment to your goals and dreams will pull you through the tough times. As we did with the last two editions of Voices of Experience, we begin our November issue with part three of Lynn Wayman's conversation with Sam Horn.
1: Let me ask you, what's the best way
2: a speaker can capitalize on their intellectual capital? we're going to follow up on something that Gary Marshall said. Did you see the movie Pretty Woman by any chance? Yes, many times. <laughs> I remember, you know, with Richard Gere and with Julia Roberts. Well, Gary Marshall was the director of that movie and he said something at a conference that I was emceeing. He said, Hollywood directors can predict when their movies will make money based on this one thing. Do people walk out of the theater repeating something they heard Mm -hmm. word for word. Because see, if people walk out thinking, make my day, or I'll be back, or you make me want to be a better man, see, now they're talking about that movie. If someone says, seen any good movies recently, they Mm -hmm. become word-of-mouth advertisers for you. So I'm asking everyone listening, if you come up with an idea, does it have a money phrase? Does it have some type of tagline that people will repeat so they become your Mm -hmm. word-of-mouth advertisers? Now, I have a a three-step process on how to come up with a money phrase for your idea that's going to turn it into an equity idea. Here we go. It's an airtight sound bite on that piece of paper because remember, you're inking it when you think it, right? right? If you write these ideas down, you can refer to them next month, next year, and you're going to be able to profit from these ideas forever. So A-I-R. A is alliteration. Now just hear, listen to these words. Bed, toilet, and shower. Dunkin' croissants. Rolls, Jaguar, dirt, vacuum. Clunky, huh? See, they have no magic, no music to them. Now make them alliterative. When words start with the same sound, it makes us instantly eloquent. It makes our language lyrical. Bed, bath, and beyond. Duncan, donuts, dirt, devil. Now, how does that turn into an equity idea? Do you like coffee by any chance? Yes. yes. Have you ever burned your fingers on one of those really hot cups of of, sta- mm-hmm. of Starbucks? Yes, I have. Have you ever put one of those little cardboard insulating sleeves around Yes, him? I have. Well, now let's go back to one of our ideas. See, it's got to have an easy to say and repeat name, right? Is cardboard insulating sleeve. <laughs> That's not going to make it. As Duke Ellington said, it don't mean a thing <laughs> if it ain't got that swing. It's got no swing. Ah, so Jay Sorensen saw an opportunity. For an equity idea, what does he call cardboard insulating sleeves? Java jackets. Oh, Boom! Beautiful. Multi million dollar business. Yeah. He says people who meant to call his competitors call him instead because they can't remember his competitor's name. They remember Java jacket. So that's A for alliterative i is for iambic meter when we put it in a beat we make it easy to repeat when we put it in a beat we make it easy to repeat if i said i can't believe i ate the whole thing that's right okay takes a licking and keeps on clicking ticking right close enough Now, here's the good news. How Has it been years since you heard those slogans? I haven't thought of them in years, Sam. Now, it's interesting, though, Lynn, because think about what you're saying. You haven't thought of them, and yet they were on the tip of your tongue. They were Amazing. on the top of your mind. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone listening, wouldn't you like your ideas money phrase mm-hmm. on the tip of people's tongue, the top of their mind, years mm-hmm. after they first heard it? Well, put it in a beat. You make it easy to repeat. One other I... That was iambic meter, inflection. If I said, and now for the rest of the, are you filling it in? Story. Story. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Now that was Paul Harvey. Mm -hmm. See now, how many thousands of broadcasters are there Mm -hmm. around the country? Mm -hmm. And yet we remember that iconic line because it was said Mm -hmm. with distinctive, mimicable inflection. I'm asking you as a speaker, do you have a money phrase that people walk out of the room repeating it word for word exactly as it was heard? And then R is for rhyme. Rhyme is sublime. For example, the U.S. government had a campaign a few years ago. They were trying to get people to wear their seat belts to reduce injuries in accidents. Now what was the name of their campaign? Buckle up for safety. Oh, yeah, that swings.
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really.
2: <laughs> Let's use everything we've talked about here. Let's put it in a beat. Let's give it a little swing. And it became click it or ticket. Instantly memorable money phrase. Yeah. More importantly, compliance has gone mm. up. When we take responsibility for languaging our ideas in a way that we remember them, we repeat them, that's when people are more likely to act on them, that's when they're more likely to think of us the next time they hire a speaker, that's more likely when they become word of advertisers for our books or for our products. Well, thank you for helping us be entrepreneurs and ideapreneurs. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it, Lynn, and I hope these people act on these ideas so that they start making income from what happens in their head. Thank you.
0: Do people walk out of your presentations repeating your money phrase? Great concept, Sam. Thank you. Next up, Terry Brock. Leave it to Terry to find some great new gadgets to help us be more productive and build stronger relationships.
4: As a professional speaker, you need to share sound from your iPhone with colleagues, prospects, clients. And if you do, I've got a technology you ought to look into. It's something that uh, can work with your mobile phone and iPhone. And uh, if you need hands-free operation, got another little tool for that. Recently, I was given a device by the good people at Griffin Technology up there in Nashville that amplifies the sound on your iPhone without any battery or electricity now i know this sounds really strange but they have a device called the air curve that amplifies the sound that comes from your iphone the air curve weighs just a couple of ounces but it's designed with acrylic so that the sound from your iphone is magnified on a flat surface. It's really incredible. It gives a power boost to what you hear. And again, no electricity, no batteries required. This can be really nice when you're presenting to a small group of people, say, around a conference table, or you want to listen to some tunes or some uh, podcasts, some spoken word audio while you're there at the hotel. You can watch a video of it over on my website at terrybrock.com. Just cue in the word air curve as one word, A-I-R-C-U-R-V-E. I used it recently Recently to listen to some great music from Stravinsky. The Borodin, Polovincian dances, it was superb. The iPhone by itself, compared to the Air Curve, sounded like listening to it in a cornfield versus coming out into a finely crafted acoustic theater. Big difference. Since it uses no wires, it's great for those of us who travel a lot and don't need any more wires or batteries to drag around. They've also designed it so you can insert a charging cable from underneath. This way, you can listen to the sounds and charge your iPhone or do a sync if you need to. In sum, the air curve is simple, Inexpensive and very useful. Costs about $20 US. Besides, it's really good for an environment that has no power. <laughs> what a great combination! That's the Air Curve from Griffin Technology. Another little technology I want to tell you about is the Sprocked Aura Mobile BT. You see, mobile phones are great, but when you need to operate hands-free, you usually need something extra. Even more, if you want to have a conference call with your mobile phone, with your cell phone, well, it can be a challenge. Enter the Spracht Aura Mobile BT for making conference calls. This Bluetooth device pairs with a mobile phone, your cell phone, so that you can have several people around, say, the conference table talking to another person. This is great for those times when you need to share a conversation with colleagues at the office. It sounds much better than the speakerphone you get on most cell phones. It's got a much deeper and richer sound to it and very easy to use as well. The Aura Mobile BT is handy when you're driving in many places now in the United States and throughout the world. It is required that you have hands-free operation if you use a mobile phone at all while driving. This device gives you a clip so you can put it on the visor and then connect with a caller so that others in the car with you are going to be able to hear the conversation. It's safer, and this helps to build relationships with people, and that's most important. It's a good example of using technology to bring people closer together. In my tests, I was able to get calls connected, and after I got the device to recognize my iPhone, took just a few minutes, it was very useful. This is a device to investigate for the serious mobile professional, the professional speaker who's out there on the road and using a cell phone a lot. Stay legal when you're driving and share selected conversations with others. You can connect more and build relationships. And really, that's what technology is all about. Leveraging the technology to enhance relationships with people. This is the Sproct. That's S P R A C H. Sprocked Aura Mobile BT, B as in Bravo, T as in Tango, $99 US, and you can get it in your favorite electronic store. Reporting for Voices of Experience, this is Terry
0: Brock. Notice that Terry said he was given a device from Griffin Technologies. I bet that's because he reviews these devices. It's a nice little gig you have going, Terry. I have a friend who reviews golf courses and golf equipment. You should see his garage full of clubs and other golf accessories. I think I'll start reviewing small jet airplanes. And maybe I'll start a collection of those. My feature interview this month is with Jim Pansero. This interview will not focus so much on Jim's business model, but rather his thinking about what it takes to maintain steady growth with an established speaking business. I hope you find this interview interesting, but more importantly, I hope it leads you to fine-tune your actions for increased success. So with me today for VOE is Jim Pancero. Uh, Jim, welcome to VOE. Honored to be here. Jim, uh, you've done just about everything in NSA. Uh, on the board for how long? Six years. It was two terms. Very positive experience. And You're a CSP, CPAE, so clearly you've had some some great levels of success. So here's a, f- a first question for you. Are you a trainer? Are you a speaker? Are you a consultant? Give us a sense of your model. Well,
5: oh, I think a lot of our newer members wrestle with that, and I was wrestling with that. I joined the industry late 1981 and really became full-time January of 82 and went to one of my first workshops, and it happened to be in uh, California, and I met a, a newer member there as well, Tony Alessandra at the time, and he and I were talking, and I was we were having drinks, and we're talking. And I said, uh, where most of the major discussions at NSA go on was sitting around networking with people. And I said, I can't figure it out. He said, What can't you figure out? I said, Well, I'm really wrestling with if I'm a trainer or a speaker or a consultant. And he kind of laughed and he says, You're not getting it. He called it the golden circle. He said, Speeches generate training, training generates consulting, speaking, training, and consulting generate product sales, and product sales generate more speaking, training, and consulting. And from that point, I realized I am not a professional speaker. I term myself as an expert who happens to speak professionally. So as an expert, how I deliver my impact in helping organizations and others can very well be by a speech which really just gets their attention or by training which helps implement skills or consulting that helps them change direction. And I found it's the interconnection of those three making it a process and not an event that really becomes strong. McDonald's did this years ago. They used to call it their golden triangle where they defined a complete meal as some kind of drink, some kind of fries and some kind of sandwich. So they trained their people to complete the triangle. So if you pulled up to the drive-thru and said, I want a soft drink and I want a hamburger, they'd say, you want fries with that. They took it to the ultimate where they even packaged it with numbers. By the way, I do need to identify, do you know how much your life sucks if you know what a number four is? <laughs> <laughs> At McDonald's or yeah, any exactly. other fast food yeah, yeah. yeah. restaurant. So anyway, but within that, they made it a process, not an event. And that's really one of the ideas I'd like to share in our time that we have Mm -hmm. is what I learned, it started, it really triggered with my experience talking with my friend Tony at, at this beginning in the early 80s was to say, okay, how do we make it a process? How do you get a speech to generate training, to generate consulting, to generate product sales, to generate speaking training and consulting and product sales? It's a lot easier to renew a relationship than it is to begin one. Right. And it all starts, I guess, with that body of expertise, does it not? Well, yeah, you have to be good. Now, right. I know there's been individuals in our association that have proven you don't have to have skill and you don't have to have talent. You don't have to have message and you can still be successful. But I find that's the exception. Uh, I think there's a couple foundations here that are really critical. The, almost the beginning level that has to be defined. The first is you got to have something to say, and it has to be unique. It's amazing how many people, I mean, we even make fun of in our industry, the starfish story, but there's so many people have starfish speeches where it's the same thing everybody else is saying and they just think it's unique because they're saying it. Uh, you got to have unique material that people actually want to hear and it has to have value for them. Uh, I'm just amazed sometimes that you meet the people at our meetings and their topics they're talking about. I'm thinking, why would anybody want to pay for that? Mm-hmm. And why would anybody want to learn from that? It's a great topic, but it's not going to help anybody in what they're doing enough to generate an income because of having value and impact for others. Right. Second is you got to be good at delivering it. i met a lot of professors over the years that are of great material, but they're so poor in their delivery, uh, they're not making any money and it's not a business for them. I think the second side of it is you have to run it like a business. Uh, I focused way too long on bragging about what my fee was that I charged, and then I started bragging about how much money I was making each year, but I really wasn't bragging about how much net worth I was building. Mm -hmm. I was focused on the wrong business model, Uh, and I think that becomes critical. What are you doing as a life focus of building net worth and building an asset in this business of what you can do? I think those are the foundations that when you have strong message and strong delivery and a strong business, you can then say, how do I market and promote it to really generate a strong impact? To me, that sounds like another golden triangle, does it not? Oh, very much so. Expertise? (laughs) Delivery? treating it like a business. The key thing here is that this business is a process, and the more we look at it as a process. I figure that if a company hires me or an association hires me to give a speech, and all I do is come in and do one speech, by the time I've researched what I need, develop what they want, and deliver it, I haven't made any money, and it's at most been a break-even. Success and the revenue flow and the profitability in these kind of things come from when you take it to the next step. Uh, it's one of the things I talk about a lot in my programs. I ask people, are you a painter or are you a printer? The problem is most salespeople I deal with are painters. Where every time they get a new customer, they put a new blank canvas on their easel. And then based on what they research with the customer, what they want, they paint a brand new picture just for that customer. And the customer loves the picture and they're a great painter. But then when they get a new customer, they start with another blank canvas on their easel and do it again. Uh, I'd rather be a printer. Every customer is unique. We need to realize that. Every customer is different. Every customer has unique requirements. But those tend to be at the very cultural level, at the very basic level. If we look at what our expertise is, my expertise is sales, advanced sales and sales management. I talk with companies about how you increase your competitive advantage, take more proactive control of your selling process, and communicate more value differential and philosophy in what you do. So as part of that, even though each industry I work in, whether it's agricultural or services or manufacturing or distribution are different in how they basically run, The overall philosophies of what they need to do to promote stronger message and philosophy and more proactive control of the selling process is pretty consistent. So what I want to do is set up a printing press and adjust it for each of my customers. But every time a new customer comes up, all I'm doing is turning the crank. I'm not painting a new picture each time. It's a lot of work. Oh, and and so it becomes constraining. How many programs can you do a year and how much impact can you have for the customer? Mm. It's that refining of process. Having a process and structure for how you sell, how you run your business, how you um, work with a client, those kind of processes and structures allow us to become more printers and less painters, which then gives us the efficiency that you actually charge a lower rate per day for what you're doing and still generate more income and more value and impact on the customer.
0: So you and I have been at this for a long time, you even longer than I have. How, how does one generate long-term success in this business? What, what creates that longevity? It's
5: interesting. I've watched this in our members. And what I found happen is the longer somebody has been in the business and the more success they've had in the speaking and training and consulting business, the more tightly niched they are. When I started off in the first couple years of the business, I would talk about anything for anybody that had a check. I mean, I was researching and just doing anything, customer service, communications, motivations, all these other things. But what I realized was that the more my business grew and the more focused I got, and as I climbed my fees, the more specialized I became to the day i have a very specific niche i do nothing in customer service i only work with experienced sales reps who already know how to sell the managers that lead them and the executives that direct them i have a very tight vertical niche now i'll do that across multiple industries but it's still all with that very singular focus and what i found if i found happens for success and you've done it in your industries as well in your industry focus as part of this that the more we concentrate on our expertise and center on what we do best It's our A stuff. I could do a customer service program, but they're not going to like it, and I'm not going to do as great a job compared to giving me experienced 20-year sales reps I think they've heard it all before. That's my market. That's my niche. And I think the biggest thing in this business as you evolve is to tighten your niche and tighten your expertise and to be an expert in what you actually do. It's amazing how many members we have speaking on leadership, and they've never managed anybody. All right, so you said that you're an expert in, in
0: sales, and I know that's true let's let's apply that expertise to to NSA members how how can you help us as a sales expert
5: a couple setups to this Whether you have sold before or not doesn't change what you need to do to be effective in selling your speaking business and services. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I also don't think it matters whether you're a motivational speaker, an inspirational speaker, a humorist, or a content trainer consultant. These process and structures all apply and all fit to making it more of a selling process than an event. There are three major shifts, first of all, anybody in sales needs to do to be more effective. The problem is most people in selling or involved in any kind of persuasive communications of what they do tend to be very intuitive in what they do. They don't really have structures or process that have never been trained in what they're doing of selling. The second thing is they tend to be very reactive. You hear so many of our members say you give a great speech and you wait for the phone to ring, Mm -hmm. or you go to the program and then they call you. I've never trusted or waited for that to happen, but they're reactive in what they do. The third is most people in our business are like the Hilari bird. And the Hilari Bird's a three-foot bird, lives in four-foot grass, spends his whole life saying, where the hell are we? <laughs> and so what happens is, all they do is think one move ahead. So they get a speech, and they get a speech in front of a big group, and they work all to get this speech. And then once they got the speech, they decide, okay, now how do I turn this into another speech? Sometimes they don't even think about how to turn to another speech until they finish the first speech. They think mm-hmm. one move ahead. They're three feet tall on four-foot grass. This is a central theme of my training is to say, how do we get away from this halari bird and lift above the four-foot grass so we have direction? We can see where our multiple steps are going to happen. So success in the marketing or selling side of your business is based on three concepts. How do we have more structure and process in what we're doing so we do it on purpose? How do we become more proactive in what we're doing so we initiate things? And how do we think and plan multiple moves ahead so that we can outthink, outposition, and outcontrol any process we're involved in? Look what happens. If you and I are playing chess and I only think one move ahead, but you think two moves, how many games will you win? Most of them. They say, well, all of them, unless you make a mistake. The game is yours to control now. Right. Okay, so in your selling process for your speaking, how many moves ahead are you thinking? So that when I get hired for a speech, frankly, I'm not thinking of the speech. I'm thinking past it. One of the things I'm very proud of in my business is in 28 years, 90% of all the clients that have ever hired me have used me for more than one program. In fact, my average client has used me for five or more. Uh, I think that's because I did it on purpose. I don't think that was just something that luckily happened to me. Because if I was hired for a speech, I don't care if it's for a one-hour speech. If it's the first time I've worked with that company, I'll invest a day of research at no charge if they pay my travel expenses. Now, they see it's me doing more customized work to truly understand their business and culture. I'm doing it not just to do that, but I have another one-step-ahead thinking, which is, okay, how do I position a process with them so if they really like my message, they'll want to continue the process because process improves stickability. It's not just I'm looking for more money here. If I give them a process instead of an event, there's a higher likelihood they'll use the material and it'll stay within the organization. Bill, you like me, if we look at our best references, they're not one speech customers that change their business life. It's somebody that you got their attention with a speech and then because of that attention, you're able to make a process happen and have stickability because you actually generated change within it. Now that could be done as a motivational speaker. Uh, Ray Pelletier was famous for this. He passed away a number of years ago, but CSP, CPA, Ray Pelletier, he would give a speech and then he would sell the customers weekly motivational audios that would be sent to all the attendees as a package to help continue the energy that was started in his speech. So even though he was a one speech kind of motivational speaker in his focus, he still was able to sell process. And that's the key. And that's where both impact happens for our customers, as well as business model revenue happens for us. This is good
0: stuff, Jim. So give us some more examples of what this looks like for you or for what it will look like for any speaker. How do you go from intuitive to structured? How how are you more proactive? How are you thinking
5: ahead? First of all, if you have never sold before, you better read some books or listen to some audios on selling. One of the reasons people are so intuitive and not structured is they've never been formally trained. Look how many members are giving speeches and have been giving speeches, some of them for 20 years, and have never really been formally trained on how to give a professional speech. Mm Mm-hmm. If I sit in and listen to somebody speaking, I'll give them 50 pages of notes on a one-hour speech because that was a structure I was taught by my mentor, who was a professional speaker, Bill McGrain of Cincinnati years ago, and I actually took classes from him on how to give professional speeches. So I walked into this with a discipline of how to do that. So I would tend to be more structured in how I deliver a speech because I was trained on the structures. Gee, what a surprise. If you've ever been trained in the structures of speaking because you never had any real formal speaking training, that you're intuitive in how you do it. So if you're getting involved in increasing the sales and marketing of what you're doing, you might want to start reading and listening to material on how to do that. That'll help add more structure to it. The other is by then making it a process and not an event. Singling out just one process for our time that we have here, because we could talk about a dozen different processes. One of the processes I'd like to talk about is how do you generate multiple business from a customer? What's the business model that when you get a speech, how do you take them through the path? I think that can really be a key driver to helping a speaker's success. If we talk about this as a process, there's four phases. The first phase is the feeder phase. And the feeder phase is they feed you business opportunities or exposure opportunities. Feeders in my business, I have a full-time salesperson that works for me. Another feeder I have is about 80 or more percent of my work right now is through speaker bureaus. And we actually actively work that as a distribution channel for me because of the business opportunities it brings me. And I like working with bureaus, first of all, because they're great business resources, but also they feed me business because my goal isn't to just get a speech from that. My goal is to take a speech from any of my feeders and turn it into a process which generates more revenue, more business, more impact, more change, more credibility because of better word of mouth because of you having an impact. Other feeders. Uh, A newsletter is a great feeder system that you have in place. Uh, The networking. Right now, social media is growing as a major feeder system where it gets somebody to come and say, okay, I want you to speak to our group or I want you to share your expertise. The second phase then when you do, and by the way, the more feeders you get in this business, the more effective you have, the more effect and impact you have. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the major feeders for me right now, because I've been doing this 28 years, is we have second and third generation customers. I term a first generation customer as somebody as a salesperson that sat through my programs years ago. Then maybe as a sales manager, they bring me back in when they're in charge of a sales team because they remember hearing me when they were a salesperson. That's a second generation. I've had people bring me back as a third generation because they heard me as a salesperson, brought me in as a sales manager, and then went to a different company as vice president of sales and brought me back in. If you have impact with these people and stickability, the longer you're in the business, the more you get the second, third, and even fourth generation customers come back to you as feeder systems
0: right we love it when clients move don't we
5: oh exactly yeah every time somebody leaves uh or is fired from a position i immediately try to find their home phone number and call them and say well bummer i thought you were doing a great job how can i help And please use me as a reference because i know they're going to wind up in a leadership position of another sales team someplace else mm-hmm. and if i help them through the tough times that's who they come back and remember yeah. and by the way it helps them and it's doing a good thing for others once you have the feeder system set up, then the next step is the validation step. Now, before we get
0: to the validation step, I, I want to bring something up that you and I talked a little bit about at lunch before we had this uh, this conversation here. It struck me that Jim Panzero, you know, sales trainer, sales speaker, is using bureaus to the extent that you're using bureaus. And to me, it seemed like you were abdicating uh, an important task to someone else who is, probably can never sell you like you can sell you. Yeah, why would a sales expert yeah. use bureaus? Right, exactly right. So to answer that, because I think other people may be wondering that as well.
5: Two answers to this, first of all. First of all, I remember I was a bus years ago, was riding and happened to be sitting next to Nito Cobain as we were going out to some social event at part of the NSA convention when it was a smaller, only a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. And ha- sitting there, I said, Nito, how many employees do you have? And he said, 13. I remember saying, oh my God, I'll never have 13 employees. And Nito turned and says, Jim, you're not thinking very smart here. He said, there's only two reasons I have 13 employees. The first reason is I can make more money with 13 than I can with 12. I said, what's the second reason? He said, I can make more money with 13 than I can with 14. He said, that's why I've got 13. So the question is, why do you use speaker bureaus? Because I can make more money with speaker bureau partnering than I can without is the simplest answer. Now, how? Two things with bureaus. I'm very proud of my bureau relationships because they're extensions. I'm like a manufacturer. These are picking up independent distributors that bring you business. The average bureau relationship I have might only generate two speaking dates a year because sales training and sales and sales management speaking is only about 12% of the national bureau business model majority of the business doesn't come from sales and sales management topics. So I'm very happy if I get to. Now, the idea is I want more than that, but I consider a very strong relationship even I have two. Here's what happens. If you work with bureaus and you get involved, it lowers your risk is the first thing. I have a full-time salesperson, but if something happens to her, I still have a big block of business coming from a very diffuse set of sources so my business doesn't collapse because of losing one employee. The second thing is my goal is process and I view bureaus as feeders to the process. So my goal is I wanna take any job I get with the bureau just like I get a job direct and I want through additional research and positioning and the impact of what I have to be able to get multiple dates. I don't view a bureau date as one speech, I view it as the door opening to get a process involved and my percentages are running 90%. 90% of all the bureau dates I've gotten in the last five years, we have turned into multiple dates. In fact, in several of the cases, the agents have gotten a larger commission than what was my gross fee was they booked me for originally. Now, why do you do that? Well, the joke in selling is you don't pay commissions based on what somebody's done, you pay commissions to keep them doing it. So that if you were able to roll over a speech for a bureau and every time they booked you, you rolled it into multiple engagements with multiple commissions for them, which is a good cost of sales to have, then they'll be more likely to get you in other opportunities. You have more value to the bureau, so they're more likely to use you. Mm-hmm. The more value you provide, the more loyalty you tend to achieve. Now, if you look at the percentage fees, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to give that percentage of my income up. The reality is the more I grow my business, the sooner I can raise my rates you don't increase your rates when your schedule's only half full. The only time low risk to raise your rates is when your schedule's full. So if you lose 10% of your business because you raised your rates, it doesn't matter because you raised your rates 20%. Mm -hmm. So the idea for me all along in working bureaus has been the more bureau business I get, the more it will fill up my schedule, the sooner and the faster I will get to a higher fee range and be able to sustain it. So that I believe over the last 28 years, I am making more income today because of paying commissions to a vast majority of my business than I would have if I just would have come from scarcity and kept all of myself and only done and paid what I did.
0: makes a lot of sense. And certainly they introduce you to new industries, new companies,
5: uh, and it just opens up a whole new range of, of opportunity. And that's the definition of what a feeder is. Right. So exactly, and that's why it fits. Good. Once you get the feeder, then the next step is validation. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of speakers die in the process because validation says that you can actually make a difference. And this isn't just giving a speech. The goal is to use the entire first speaking, consulting, or training event to set up and to validate and to begin positioning a long-term process that will actually have stickability and change to their organization. So the validation is proving that you have a direction. I am most proud of my process when, as I finish giving my first speech to a client, the client comes up and says, this was spectacular, just what we needed, and this is a real good first step to our process. Mm Because that says in my research day, in my research conversations, it wasn't that it was a hard sell, but I'll say, if you're trying to change your organization in this way, a one hour speech is not going to accomplish that. I can get their attention, but I'm not gonna generate any change. If you wanna to to generate change, this is what needs to happen. And a lot of times I talk about the topic you picked is a symptom, it's not a problem. So we can't really fix that symptom and have the problem go away. The problem is you don't have proactive coaching by your sales managers. The symptoms are the salespeople are all doing everything differently and nobody's working as a team. Well, I can't do a team-building exercise with your sales team because that's not going to fix the problem. The problem is a lack of leadership. It's not a, a, an independence of the sales rep doing everybody doing their own thing.
0: Again, this comes back to that expertise that you have. Now, whether it's sales, leadership, management, customer service, balance, whatever it is, right? Whatever the topic is, there's gotta be more to you and more to what you offer than just a speech or you can't play at the level you're talking about here, can you? That's what a definition of an expert is. And even a motivational speaker, I would say, should be an expert in motivation, should he or or she not.
5: Or have proof of validation of what they've done. If you talk, okay. if you talk to somebody like a W. Mitchell, mm-hmm. uh, and who, the experiences he went through and, and what he took away from it and how he turned and took his life in a whole different direction because of it, makes him an ex- expert on change, an expert on, on challenges individuals have. Another speaker that's very motivational and inspirational as impact is Sean Stevenson. He weighs thirty-five pounds. He's in a wheelchair because all of the bones in his body were broken at birth, and he now drives change. And so he went. To, he's gone to degrees. He's studied. He's worked with others. So now when he talks to a group, he's talking as an expert. Mm. Next step. Okay, first we have feeder system, then you have validation. The idea of the validation speech is, or whatever that event is, but the idea of the validation is the harvest. The third step or the third phase Mm -hmm. is active harvesting. And active harvesting is where you can turn it into a process of training where you have done a speech and you show them this is the change that needs to happen and this is the process to do it. So it might be a 10 training program investment they need to make, or it might be putting audios and videos together for their team, or doing webinars, or whatever it is, but it's the idea of setting up to say, this is how we really make change and stickability happen. And it's where the real impact happens, is where the change happens. It's to the point now... This is a little riskier position, but I've gotten to the point that process is so important to me. If I'm sitting in front of a client and the client has hired me for one speech, I'll tell him, if all you're doing is hiring me for a single speech, you're wasting your money. I said, because there's going to be no change, no impact, and uh, you might as well hire entertainment. They'll be funnier. I said, but if you want change and impact, this is what you have to do. And this is a great start at the speech, but if there's no process behind it, things die. I actually volunteer. Because I believe so much in this, and this is one of the ways you feed the process. If I get hired for a one-hour speech to a sales team, I'll ask permission to can they even put together a breakfast or give me a concurrent session in a side room, still within that half-day figure, that I can talk to the managers. I've even done webinars ahead of time of a program to the managers to say, this is how you take my material and you work it through. I volunteer to every audience that if they email me, I will send them a PDF of my workbook from the program at no charge so they can use it as training in-house. Mm-hmm. because I want them to use it because that gets processed. That gives more validation, which is going to give me more active harvesting. As you move through the active harvesting, the last of the fourth of the phases is then passive harvesting. And I got to tell you, my passive harvesting has died on me. Cell phones have just killed sales training products, at least for me. Hmm. Cause it used to be sales trainers had all these hours to listen to while they drove around in between calls. Today, they don't have time because they're on their cell phones. So how do we get new media back in they're willing to pay for? And there's so much free stuff going out there. Everybody expects it free. I've got a newsletter and all the free broadcasts and everything else that we need to do to market. But everybody's become so comfortable with that that the idea of buying products, at least in my markets, has died dramatically. So I'm still looking at how do we build up that passive harvest. A great example of how this process is in place for a humorist is what Jeannie Robertson's doing. Because she got on the satellite radio. Jeannie mentioned that she was on twenty-three times a day with some kind of comedy uh, bit that she's doing on you know three to five minute bits that she has on satellite radio. Right. What yeah. happens is the younger generation, when they hear something on satellite radio, they go and uh, go to iTunes and then order more. Mm-hmm. So she has this major passive income that has grown and she's managed it brilliantly. I think the key thing is here: if somebody's listening to this and they're not a trainer, they're a humorist or whatever, this process can still work for you and still fits.
0: So it sounds like, in in Jeannie's case particularly, and what you're talking about there, people do expect certain
5: things for free these days. And this is where we get the process. You have feeders that, that you can use to validate to make it an active harvest, to make it a passive harvest. And you're reinforcing the structure, and that's the idea of how to do it. What's happening is passive income is under such driving change that uh, I see a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to maximize the revenue opportunities and how to take advantage of it, and it's evolving. The idea, though, is we have to try to be actively working all four phases. We've got to be building up more feeders to our systems to get us more opportunities. We've got to improve the quality of the validation of what we do by giving such a great presentation with hard-hitting, high-intensity content so that the people go, wow, I need to have more of that so that it moves it to active harvest, which then moves it to passive harvest. And it's that process that becomes that golden circle that Tony talked about, that becomes a business model that's sustainable, that also increases the stickability of the impact you can have on others. So it is ultimately the best business-focused model to have because it's the best customer-focused model to have because it's the model that generates the most change and impact for a customer because of you being able to truly impact their people. Jim Pancero, CSP,
0: CPAE, board member for six years and uh, extremely successful business person as well as an expert who speaks. So thank you for being a part of VOE. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate your candid and wise insight into our business. Next up is Pam Lantos. Pay attention to this segment. Pam provides a simple yet generally overlooked strategy that should probably be part of your marketing plan. With me today for Voices of Experience is Pam Lantos. Pam is president of PRPR. I'm sure you've seen her advertisements in Speaker Magazine. She specializes in publicity for speakers and authors, and she's a longtime NSA sponsor. Pam, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about why we as experts who speak need to have a presence in association magazines. Uh, So why are association magazines important to us?
1: Well, they're important because when you get into association magazines, you are reaching the people and decision makers in those associations that hire speakers. When you speak to a company, for example, those companies, you're speaking to employees that can't always hire you. But you speak to an association meeting, you have decision makers in the audience. Also, when your articles appear in association magazines, what happens is the decision makers in those industries, read those magazines cover to cover, and they'll see at the end of the article who you are, hire you to speak at their events, at their corporations, and buy your products.
0: So having one of your articles placed in an association magazine, in a sense, is like speaking to the association, but maybe even more so because you're reaching all the members rather than just the people at that meeting.
1: Well, exactly. You can speak to a meeting, reach five hundred, thousand people. You get into an association meeting, that you know magazine may go to 10,000 or 60,000 people and they can take your article save it and keep it around forever and call you months later for a speaking
0: assignment how do we write an article that these types of magazines will want to publish
1: well the main thing is is to think about who those magazines reach, what is their demographic, and write material that will solve their problems. Do not self-promote. The minute you start to promote yourself in the article, you will not get published, and people won't like your article. But think about the problems they have. What is the solution? The article should be 800 to a 1,000 words, about two, two-and-a-half pages. It should start off with a short story. For example, like, you know, John was out selling and saw 10 people and only one box but then you know bill went out and saw five people but sold four what's the difference he knew the power of questioning the next paragraph do your sales know this here's eight tips and a summary and then you have the box at the end that gives all the information about you
0: you mentioned that the article should not be self-promotional how do we get to promote our products or services or do we
1: You don't do it at all during the article, but at the end they have what's called the resource box, and that's where you put your name, you're the author of, if if you have a book. And sometimes people will just put they're the author of in the name of their book and don't mention they're a speaker. This is the best place to put that you're a professional speaker or consultant or coach to hire you to speak at their next event. Here's your email, your phone number, and your website. So as long as you make your article real meaty with information that the readers can use that day you get all the promotion you need at
0: the end so it's promoting by giving good information in a sense
1: exactly and the more you help others kind of like what Zig Ziglar said you get everything in life you want if you help other people get what they want so write articles that solve problems and you can even ask the association what problems are your members having now or read the newspaper and then write articles that address those problems
0: we know that the internet is all-pervasive, how does the internet tie into this strategy?
1: Well- In addition to being in the magazines or newsletters of these associations, Mm -hmm. they also have websites. So you'll get in the magazine and you'll be on the association website. So this isn't just like some websites that take anyone's articles that anybody can get on. These are the business association sites so that when people go in to search either your name for Google to see you know, are you out there before they hire you or your topic, whatever your topic is, whether it's management, nutrition, doesn't matter. They put in the keywords, you're going to come up in Google with your name way up at the top when you have lots of articles in these magazines.
0: How does this strategy build top of mind awareness?
1: Well, the main thing to publicity is that people need to see your name over and over, which of course is the top of mind awareness. Most people, a lot of times, will try to just get into one big magazine. Oh, they want Wall Street Journal, or they want to be in Forbes magazine. They put all their effort into that. If they don't get it, they have nothing. And if they do get it, people see their name once, and nobody remembers anything when it's one time you can get the same article that you submit to an association magazine into several so the real estate industry doesn't care if you're in the cosmetics magazine they don't care if you're in the jewelry and they don't care if you're in the management so When you're getting your articles, like when we get our clients into articles, sometimes the same client, one of our clients, got into 127 magazines. So you might have one article going to eight magazines, and you'll have another one that goes into 60 magazines. What's better than that, than people seeing your name over the next year 60 times?
0: That's great. And then ultimately, how does this turn into bookings?
1: Well, when people see your name over and over, it gets that repetition factor. So when meeting planners are sitting at a table and they're wondering, who do we hire? And they start throwing out, you know, five, six, seven, eight names. You want to be one of those names that they say. And to do that, they need to have seen your name over and over and over. Also, you when you get into the association magazine, you can call that association, ask them who the name of their executive director is, and call them. If they put you in their magazine, your information is good for their members, which means you're good to speak at their convention. You can also get lists which give the names of people in any industry, whether it's insurance, whether it's medical, whether, you know, whatever it is, and send them letters. And in your letter, mention the groups that they speak to in that industry that you've spoken to, and also m- mention the magazines in that industry. Also, people see your name in those magazines over and over. So, whether it's their association or their company, they're going to think of you first to hire.
0: Great. Pam Lantos, PRPR, PR, thank you so much for your contributions to the VOE and to NSA in general. And now it's time to learn a little more about one of NSA's professional expert groups. With me is Steve Leshansky. Steve is the past chair of the Business Coaching Peg. And Steve's here to share with us some of the ideas, some of the concepts they talk about when they get together as the Coaching Peg. Take it away, Steve.
6: Would you love to get paid for the value that you bring to clients? Would you love to have your clients get enthusiastic about hiring you and paying you for the value that you're going to provide to them? In the next few minutes, I'm going to outline for you some of the keys to getting paid for your value rather than just the delivery of services where you're compensated at commodity prices. So stop for a moment and consider, what do you really get paid for? If you answered speaking, training, coaching, facilitating, or consulting, you're in trouble. If you sell speaking, stop it. In the NSA alone, you have thousands of competitors who are also speakers. So what sets you apart from every other speaker, trainer, or consultant is a value that you generate for your clients, not the delivery vehicles or services that you provide to your clients. What gets you paid well is not the delivery of services, but the ability to clearly determine, define, articulate, and deliver value. Those well-rehearsed elevator speeches don't generate value. At their best, they can only generate a dialogue that has the potential to open a value-creating conversation. Your first lesson about value is this. You get paid not for what you do, but rather for the value created for your clients in what you do. The value is determined by the quality of the results and impact on your clients, audiences or program participants. The better you can quantify the quality of your impact and results, the more valuable your services are going to be in the minds of your clients. The more valuable your services are, the more likely you're going to get paid well for those services. Here's something I've been sharing with my students and clients for years that most have never really thought deeply about. Here's something that I've been sharing with my students and clients for years that most have never thought deeply about. You must establish the value of your services before, in advance of delivering your services. Think about it. You're negotiating the price of your services before a new client has had a chance to see your results in action for them. What makes them know you are the right person worth paying a significant amount to? How do they determine what would be appropriate to pay you? The answer is simple common sense. They're willing to pay you for your value when they understand the value you can provide. The value you provide is in the mind of the client based upon what's important to them. But here's the sobering fact embedded in this statement. Most clients do not clearly know what's important to them, especially without some help facilitating that clarity. A critical key to your success is having your clients hire you and pay you for your value is this. Number one, they must perceive that you know what's important to them. This is what must be done first, and remember this critical caveat. What most clients are initially asking for is not what they ultimately would most value or benefit from. By effectively clarifying and establishing what is most important and valuable with them, you have a huge opportunity to demonstrate your capability to work with them, the enhanced quality of results they will get with you, and the value you provide to them. Only then is it time for perception shift number two. They must perceive that you can do something about what is most important to them. The amazing thing is that so many people start with shift number two, trying to persuade their clients how much experience, expertise, and success they've had in the past with other clients, which is usually highly unpersuasive as a starting point. Until they know that you know what is really important to them, your experience with others does not carry as much weight. Furthermore, once a client perceives that you understand what is most important to them, they almost automatically assume you can help them do something about it especially if you were the one who helped them come to clarity about those outcomes of great value. The clearer you can help a client be about what is most important to them, and the clearer you can help them be about the outcomes they would most benefit by achieving, and the clearer you can help them be about what that would be worth, the more they trust you to help them achieve those valuable results. It would be worth a lot to them. Do this well and you are on your way to creating the kind of dialogue that produces the clarity and trust that gets you paid what you were worth. Thank you, Steve Leshansky
0: and all the members of the Business Coaching Peg. Remember, one of the best marketing tools you can have is a great presentation. Here's some sage advice to make sure you're always at your best on the platform. So with me is Scott McCain, CSP, CPAE, member of NSA for 27 years. (laughs) Tell me, Scott, how do the best get better? How do the good get great? How do the great stay great? What do you do to make sure that you're fresh new better than
7: you were the day before on the platform there are three things that I really focus on one is I have a speech coach I have somebody that I go to to keep sharp he is not a speech coach in the traditional sense but but he is a performer an artist an actor and to bring that element in but I think it's also very easy to get over coached that we listen so much to a particular speech coach that they try to make everybody sound the same I, I, I think in our flaws is also the point that generates our distinction um if you look at the great speakers out there and i'm not just talking about nsa members i mean the tom peters for example uh they would be crucified at a toastmasters meeting yet they are among the best there because they take their personality and they extend it i want to find someone who can help me take what makes me different from others on the platform and extend that and make that better so a speech coach does that in part
0: and how often do you work with this speech coach?
7: kind of depends on whether I'm working on new material or whether I'm trying to tweak existing material. More frequently, I came out with a new book, and so there was new speaking material and a new speech that would enable me to go back to existing clients and say, hey, I've got something new. There I'm working with them more frequently. Uh, every month they're looking at video. Uh, if it's to tweak, we're, we're talking about twice a year. Um, second is develop speaker buddies. Uh, who have absolutely no other agenda other than helping you get better. I'll run stuff by Larry Wingate, Joe Calloway, Mark Mayfield, Don Hudson. And, and they do the same with me, and there's absolutely no other agenda other than helping you get better, and, and no reason for them to sugarcoat the critique or criticisms that they might have of what you're doing um, as well. And then the third thing is, I, I try to video every speech that I give, whether it's you know taking what's on iMag at a major convention, or just putting up a flip cam in the back of the room. Uh, the key that I found, though, is you can't watch it immediately after the speech because if you're watching it immediately following the speech, you're still seeing and hearing what you meant to do. In your head, you have how it's supposed to sound or how it's supposed to look, and, and, and we tend to reinforce that if we watch it immediately. You have to put it on the shelf for a month. Or longer, and then pull it off and then examine and, and re examine. One other quick thing I just thought of too that I hadn't thought about is, is I've had a couple of speeches lately transcribed. And if you want something that will scare you to death, read what it is that you've said from the platform, and you find how inaccurate, how imprecise we are in our language. So those are the things that I'm constantly working on trying to get better.
0: Thank you, Scott McCain.
3: G'day, I'm Neen James. I'm Gina Schreck. And we are
5: co-chairing the UnConference, the Winter UnConference, which is just around the corner. We are leveraging
3: some amazing technologies for this UnConference. Gina, can you tell us a little bit about some of them? Well, one of them I'm most excited about is the iPad revolution. And we're going to focus on how, as content providers, we can really change the way we're delivering our content from just written format if we're writing books or just in person to really saying, how can we provide content that will be delivered through through apps, and maybe even some cool written um, content to be downloaded on an iPad. So some fun things coming up.
5: Excellent. And we're also Skyping in international guests for this. We're leveraging technology, different applications. We're going to be encouraging you to download before you arrive at the conference. So before you arrive at the conference this winter, keep an eye out for all the video vignettes you're going to see on the NSA website. But we want to remind you to
3: register for our conference in Atlanta. We'll see you at the beautiful Lowe's Hotel, February 18th through 20th.
0: Again, that's February 18 through 20 in Atlanta, Georgia. To register for the unconference, visit www.mynsa.org and click on 2011 NSA Winter Unconference. I'll see you there. Now it's time for part three of my four part interview about coaching with Susie Pomerantz. So, with me again is Susie Pomerantz, the coach's coach, author of Seal the Deal. So, Susie, in our first segment, we talked about the business of coaching and whether coaching can enhance a speaker's business. Last time we got together, we talked a little bit about how to get started in the coaching business. In this segment, I like to talk about becoming a better coach. What are some top strategies, tactics that you employ yourself to make sure you deliver a good coaching experience to your clients?
3: One of the things about becoming a better coach is about being in a continual improvement mode. So really seeking to maintain a beginner's mind and be constantly looking for where can I sharpen the saw around my coaching skills and expertise? What are other people doing out there? What are different models that are more successful than what I'm currently doing? So being really a continual student and continual learner. And a critical point that I mentioned in our last segment is having your own coach. Um, so that you can practice and learn in that way. Having a mastermind group is also a great way to practice and learn coaching as well. But just a few distinctions around some of the top strategies and tactics that I would recommend. The first one is really recognizing that coaching is about their results and not about my delivery. So when I'm speaking, I'm focused on my delivery and and giving value with my delivery as a speaker. When I'm coaching, it has nothing to do with my delivery as to how I'm delivering the coaching. It has to do with what they're producing, what they're hearing, what they're realizing. So it's about their results, not my delivery. The second one is that you want to have a sound methodology for your coaching that integrates content in some way, whether it's leadership models or organizational development knowledge or your core content as a speaker, but you want to make sure that you have a sound methodology that integrates that. Balancing inquiry and advocacy is, something, is another tactic that we use. So rather than as a speaker, you're advocating for some set of beliefs or you're advocating for some piece of knowledge. And there's a balance with inquiry as a, as a coach where you're asking a lot of questions and pulling that out. There's the 80-20 rule, which is that you are listening 80% of the time, and 20% of the time is when you're talking or asking questions, mostly asking questions. In a strict, pure coaching model, you're only asking questions. Now, those of us who command top-dollar coaching in organizations sprinkle a little bit of benchmarking and knowledge and experience in there as well, so it's not pure questioning. But the 80-20 rule always applies. And something that we talked a little bit about in a previous segment is listening for the layers beneath what the person is saying. So part of how you sharpen your saw as a coach is training yourself to listen for the layers underneath what they're not saying. You know, we have a colleague and a friend, Stephen Gaffney, who writes about honesty, and he talks about honesty being not lies, but what people aren't saying. And so a lot of what happens in coaching as well is that there's, there are things that people aren't saying, not because they're hiding it, but because they don't know. And so part of coaching is the, helping them along with that discovery and listening for those layers so that you can pull it out, show it to them and say, is this, where you're, is this what you meant? Um, so they can reflect on it. It's about advancing the ball, knowing that the client is the driver of that. So you're not pushing the client, you're guiding them to advance their own ball. And the, one of the key points is really about having a genuine curiosity. And and by I want to emphasize genuine curiosity. So you can't pretend to be curious and have coaching be effective. You have to truly get to a place where you are truly wondering about what could help this person advance. It's a co-creation. It's it's a co-active learning. It's something that happens in partnership with your client. Continuing education for you as the coach. Continual coach training for you is important and, and really making sure that You have at least one coach at all times. Um, I currently have three coaches and a mastermind group, so I definitely am an advocate for having coaches for all different segments of your business, your marketing, your branding, all the different things that you want to focus on.
0: Where does the concept of accountability come into play in a coaching relationship?
3: It's a, it's a great question Bill because accountability there are a lot of coaches out there who say that their whole coaching business is about being an accountability partner for someone in accomplishing their goals. And I think that every coach has a, an accountability partnership as some element of what they're doing. But that's a tricky fine line because some people want coaching in terms of support. They want a sounding board partner, but they don't they want a thinking partner, but they don't necessarily want to be held accountable. So it depends on the co-creation with your client. Do they want to be held accountable? to what they say they want to produce. There's a lot of resistance, natural resistance that comes up around a lot of people in terms of their accountability. Some people hire coaches just to get that accountability, and some people resist it, and so part of the challenge of being a coach is trying to figure out where the balance is around being an accountability partner.
0: And I guess this goes back to knowing yourself and your inclinations and what you want to bring to the equation and if For instance, I guess I'm just thinking out loud here, if accountability is very important to you and you believe that that's how you're going to serve people best you got to let people know up front that's part of your model. And so they know what to expect and decide whether they want it or not.
3: Ask your clients, how can I best support you? Do you want me to be a rigorous accountability partner for you, or should I be gentle with my nudges towards the things that you say you wanted to accomplish? You know, how hard a driver do you want me to be? Because I can be a taskmaster if that's going to serve you best, but I need you to tell me what's going to work best for you.
0: Hmm. Makes sense. So not just being a coach, but being the best possible coach you can be. And so, Susie Pomerantz and I have one more segment on how you can add coaching to your revenue mix, all the synergies that coaching can create with your other revenue streams. So, in our fourth and final segment, Susie will give us some strategies and tactics for selling coaching. Susie, thanks for being with us again.
3: Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure.
0: I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying the million-dollar ideas we're getting from our NSA members who have built businesses of a million dollars or more. Here's another great idea worthy of your consideration. So with me is Jim Doyle, CSP. Jim, you have a, uh, a boot camp coming up that sounds like a pretty successful event.
8: Uh, tell us a little bit of how you came about that and, and, and why it's going to be so successful. Well, you know, our company, we believe in the power of, of just dominating a niche our niche is uh, television stations cable companies who sell advertising so when you work in that niche you begin to start to understand needs and the greatest need probably is not for sales training but to train salespeople. So this is actually, I think, the sixth one of these we've done. We'll invite a group to Tampa. We'll have over 150 sales managers will come down. They'll spend three uh, days with us. And it's a, it's a great show. But it's also a tremendous revenue producer for our company. Plus, uh, not only is it a great revenue producer but, and profitable, but it's also a great time to showcase what it is we do. And that leads to some future work.
0: And it sounds to me that you wouldn't be having 150 of these folks coming if you didn't have
8: a reputation in the niche. I did one of these, I think, in my fourth year of business uh, with a partner at Notre Dame, and we had 16 people. Uh, Now, we'll regularly do about 150. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. You don't get to a point where you are able to draw a crowd until people know you and know your work. But once they know you and know your work, I think there's a lot of opportunities as you go deeper into your niche and they're probably willing to spend more money to be with you because of that reputation. Uh, I think absolutely and also the fact that our previous boot camps have uh, gotten a great buzz. That adds to the value as well and that allows you to have some pricing opportunities too. So how do you market this? How do you get the word out? Well, we get the word out to existing clients. Um, We build some of it into our contracts with our existing uh, relationships. Uh, We do a lot of outbound email marketing. We were really blessed this time. Uh, We had uh, 40% of the seats sold just in two outbound email blasts announcing an early registration discount. Um, And then um, we'll do the sales letters and and really continue the outbound marketing. Maybe do a little bit of external marketing. But I think on this product, we're going to be pretty full without having to do that. So just the people you already have relationships with? Well. have relationships with either through coaching programs or existing clientele, or they've heard us at seminars, or they've been to previous boot camps.
0: And these boot camps lead to further business within these firms?
8: Well, sometimes they're with people that we have business with. Sometimes it leads to further business. There is nothing bad about these. Plus, it's just a great opportunity for our company. Thank you, Jim Doyle. All right, thank you. I don't know if you caught
0: one thing Jim said almost in passing. He includes a certain number of seats in his boot camps in his contracts with his clients. I'm going to run with that idea all the way to the bank. Being president of NSA requires a huge commitment of time and energy. I, for one, appreciate the fine NSA members who choose to give to our association by taking an active leadership role. So that brings us to our current president, Kristen Arnold.
9: For years, I've been hearing a low rumbling from our meetings industry partners about the quality of professional speakers. When they are looking to hire a speaker, they're basically asking three questions. Number one, are you an expert in your topic or your field? Number two, are you eloquent? And number three, as a result of your speech, will the audience know, think, or be inspired to do something differently? And when you hit that trifecta of expertise, eloquence, and inspiration, clients will be banging down your door. But here's the rub. They can't bang down your door if they don't know about you first. So there are lots of different ways we demonstrate our competency and qualifications in the marketplace. We create memorable marketing materials, including a jazzy website with juicy video snippets. We share tasty testimonials that reinforce that trifecta, We write profusely in blogs, books, and articles that show the depth of our knowledge and extensive experience, and the list goes on. Now, most associations like ours have a way to assure prospective clients that they're hiring a competent professional and that they'll receive quality services. For example, when you're ill, you look for a doctor who's certified in that specialty. Or if you're designing a building, you want a competent architect to draw up your plans. So how do you know that these people are competent? they create memorable marketing materials, tasty testimonials, and extensive experience. And they may be certified or licensed by their professional association. NSA is the largest professional speakers association in the world. So the public could assume that maybe what? At least 50% of our members are certified? Unfortunately, That is not the case. Only 18% of our members have the Certified Speaking Professional designation, and that number really should be higher. We aren't even close to the tipping point, so that it's no surprise that the designation doesn't rank high on our list to hit the trifecta. My personal challenge to each of you this year is to pursue the Certified Speaking Professional credential. Now, contrary to popular opinion, the paperwork really isn't that bad. And the good news is, is that eSpeakers, NSA's official software, has just made the calendaring function free to NSA members, which makes the application process just so much easier. Once you populate the data, you just hit the button. And you'll also need some educational credits. So don't forget the two incredible opportunities coming up with the keynoting lab in Las Vegas in January and the unconference in Atlanta in February. Now, I also hear from many of you that you just don't see how this is going to help you get more business. And for some of you right now, that may be true. But getting your CSP is bigger than just you. If you meet the criteria, I urge you to apply for your CSP this year because having a respected and recognized credential is the right thing to do for our association, it's the right thing to do for our profession, and... When we hit that tipping point, it will also be great for you and your business. So go ahead, download the CSP application from mynsa.org, and if you have any questions at all about your ability to qualify for CSP or CSP candidate this year or in the future, send an email to sarah Best at sarah at nsaspeaker.org. That's sarah with an h at nsaspeaker.org. The applications are due into Tempe on January 12, 2011. So you'll want to get started now. And the following August, I'll be thrilled to shake your hand and slip that medal over your head at the 2011 convention in Anaheim, California. Getting your CSP is just one more way to demonstrate your trifecta to the world.
0: Thanks, Kristen. We appreciate your commitment to the members of NSA. So that brings us to the end of November's Voices of Experience. I hope you got a few ideas you can use. But more importantly, remember this. Ideas do not make us more successful. Acting on ideas makes us more successful. This has been Bill Cates, and thanks for listening.